Hey guys, this is Darren. Welcome back to my podcast. This is Let's Talk Episode 2, Asking the Questions, Can We Really Just Agree on the Basics? Um, Just for your information, these are now recorded live. The Let's Talk series is now recorded live on Facebook and on Periscope as well as YouTube, so you can find it there. But then the audio will be uploaded here in addition to future sermons on Spotify. So thank you for joining. Hey everyone, this is Darren. Welcome back to my podcast, Let's Talk. And uh, today we're going to be on here live as always, so feel free to chat with me if you uh, if you care to. I'll be here to answer questions and chime in on whatever you're chiming in on. And today we're going to be talking about, um, as Christians, can we really just agree on the basics? And so really the premise of, of our time together is going to be focused on that that kind of idea that I hear so often that, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter if we agree or disagree, um, what you think about this theology, what I think about this theology, as long as we agree on the basics, you know, we can have communion, we can be friends, we can, whatever. At the end of the day, a lot, what a lot of people are saying, as long as we agree on the basic, it doesn't matter what else we believe. And so um, that's the, the idea that I want to address today, biblically, from the scriptures. So I'm sure, uh, like me, you've probably heard that a lot. You might even be like, yeah, that's exactly what I think, Darren. It's not about all these different things and what this church believes, what this denomination believes. As long as we believe uh, in Jesus, as long as we believe on the core foundational principles of the Christian faith, then that's good enough, right? We can have fellowship. Um, And so my question today And the thing that I want to talk about with you all today is, is that really what the Bible teaches? When we just look at the scriptures, when we look at the commands um, on paper in the Bible, does the Bible say as long as we agree on basics that nothing else matters? And if the answer is yes, my, my next question would simply be, okay, well, what basics? What does the Bible um, talk about as basics? Are they your basics? Are they my basics? Do we, uh, do we even agree on what the basics are, basically? Do we agree with the Bible on what the basics are? And if we took that a step further, we could say, well, hey, uh, you know, all we have to do is agree on the basics. Well, what are the basics? Okay, well, even if we had a list of basics that we could agree on, do we really even agree Uh, at that point on what we believe about those basics. And so it's, it's something I think that's a very fair question or series of questions that we should ask ourselves. There's a lot of um, good Christian uh, phrase phrases or or platitudes or whatever you want to call them that, that many people live their life by define their faith by um, that really aren't Christian at all. And so I think it's appropriate for us to look at this one to see, hey, is this even a truth that we should be considering? Is this something that we should be sharing and, and saying um, to other believers? So I want to take a look at a couple things. So first of all, um, let's, just, let's just assume we can agree on the basics, or let's just say we want to agree on the basics. My first question today is, well, what basics? What are the basics that we're agreeing on? So um, a lot of people just say, well, as long as we agree on the gospel, 
right? The gospel. And if you saw my video from last week, you would know that the gospel is, is actually a pretty, a pretty big subject. And on, in all honesty, we'll touch on that just slightly again today as we make our, our way through the scriptures. But um, so what, what part of the gospel are we agreeing on? Um, the good news is the good news of salvation, right? Well, how are we saved? Are we saved by works or by faith? Um, if we're saved by faith and grace of God alone, well, can we lose that salvation? Or can we not lose that salvation? Is it kept in heaven for us? Is it not? I mean, where are the, the lines and boundaries here on how basic are our basics? And uh, some people might say, well, the basics are if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we believe that he raised from the dead, that salvation is only through his name, you know what I mean? And that all who love him are, are let's say, one church together. Maybe maybe that's the basics to you. And I wouldn't argue. I think that sounds pretty pretty basic, pretty core doctrinally. Um, but again, if we were to start breaking those things down, does everybody, does everybody believe that? You know, and if those are the basics, is, is, is there anything else in the scriptures that might need to be included in what is foundationally important? So I want to actually um, challenge a couple of things today. And I want to start with something I've been thinking about quite, quite a bit recently. I think for my church, I'm actually going to begin a study, a series on this, on touching on these, what, what the Bible calls the elementary principles of Christ. Um, so in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So even that's a very interesting statement, but we'll come, we'll come back to that. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and faith towards God. So that's an elementary principle. Uh, the doctrine of baptisms, which is plural there, that's interesting. That is a foundational doctrine of laying on of hands. That's apparently a, a elementary, I guess, is the words using here in the New King James Version, elementary principle of Christ, the laying on of hands. Uh, the resurrection of dead. So, you know, what's going to happen at the resurrection? How are we resurrected? For some people, the question is, are we resurrected? Which Hopefully, we're, we're not too confused on that part. And of eternal judgment. And so, um, even just the eternal judgment on, is there an eternal judgment? What does the eternal judgment look like? What's going to happen? How are we, how do we kind of fit into that mix? Those are things that uh, the scriptures call elementary principles of Christ, which is very interesting because... First of all, uh, the author of Hebrews is here saying, hey, I actually want to leave these behind, like not, not disregard them, but I want to move past them so that we can move on to perfection. And so it's interesting here that his desire is not just for us to, to be okay with, be stuck at, be founded in these elementary principles that we, but that we should move on and we should go into perfection. So that's very important simply because we can identify here that the scriptures say that there is a perfection in a sense. There is a, a greater understanding. There is a, a, a full, complete scriptural understanding that we are to have and that the author of Hebrews has. And so again, here, when we talk about, hey, Darren, look, we don't need to argue all we need to do is agree on the basics. Well, the question is, well, who's basics? Because the, the uh, author of Hebrews, his basics are, again, repentance from dead works, faith towards God. What do those mean? 
um, the doctrine of baptisms, not just baptism. So that means there's more than one, apparently. You know, what do we believe about those? Um, laying on of hands, how often is that taught and agreed upon? Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So, so here, if, if all we need to do is agree on the basics, well, why are these not included in the basics? You know, Hebrews is calling them elementary principles of Christ. And I would say a lot of us, um, a lot of young Christians especially, even, even Peter, people who are uh, leaders in certain areas, would have a hard time giving a very complete scriptural study on, on some of these points. Um, furthermore, if all that matters is agreeing on the basics, on the core, I can almost guarantee you, because I have a lot of friends and a lot of denominations, and I've, I've even worked alongside a lot of different denominations for, for various reasons, that when we get into the doctrine of baptisms, I guarantee you there are going to be a lot of people who disagree. When we start talking about the reality of laying on of hands, of what's, what's happening there, um, how is that to be instituted? What does that mean for, for leadership in the church? Is it sufficient or is it secondary? Um, I guarantee you we're going to find a, a lot of people disagreeing um, when we get into uh, eternal judgment and the resurrection uh, from the dead within the Christian circle. Within the Christian circle, we're going to find out that there are a lot of people who disagree on these subjects. So is this the core or, or is this not? Are these the elementary principles of Christ or are they, or are they not? Are these the basics? Um, because really, you know, repentance from dead works and faith towards God, uh, baptism, resurrection, eternal judgment, I mean, these are things that pertain salvation to salvation. These are things that are very important to the gospel, the gospel truth is is really manifested in the understanding of these things. And if we're we're not preaching these things correctly, or if we don't agree on these things, the question would arise: um, Are we still preaching the authentic gospel? And so, just just a thought, you know. And of course, we're still live, and so feel free to uh, share your thoughts, your your questions here. I'd love to. To reply to you, but it's very interesting. You know, it's very interesting how different people look at uh, what is salvation. So let's just talk for a second about about different. I keep picking up a pen. I keep wanting to write. I don't really need to. Um, within the context of Christian denomination and churches, you actually have some denominations, some theologies that say that uh, Jesus was not born as God, that he somehow became God at some point. Um, so is, but we would all believe in Jesus that he is, you know, the way to salvation. So is that an important thing, thing to discuss? Or is that something that should just be um, ignored? You know, um, within that, you know, even aside from that, we have various denominations with various views on baptism. Um, many, many people, um, and I guess I won't throw out any names or denominations specifically, but you may know who I'm talking about. Some people believe that baptism in of itself is the saving grace that, that basically we're saved at baptism. I mean, is that the gospel? Is that the truth? Is that something that we need to agree upon? Or is that something that can be ignored because we, we believe in Jesus, you know, um, 
there is even, I've got a friend of mine who was at a church and said that there was a woman there who claimed to be a prophetess who said she came to Christ without the need, with, with no need of repentance. Is that something that we can just agree upon as long as we both have similar things to say uh, about Jesus? And if we're talking about salvation and the nature of salvation, but when we get to the subject of eternal judgment, if we can't agree on, hey, does do people go to heaven? Do people go to hell? Do some people make it? Some people not? I mean, if we can agree on that, is that is that important? And so I think a lot of times as we talk about uh, things, <laughs> honestly, our responses are kind of makeshift theology on, oh, well, we just need to agree on the basics or this or that. I could go into various others, but I want to stick to the topic here. Um, I, I guess I'm concerned that a lot of times those aren't really educated responses, those aren't um, biblically concerned responses, those aren't uh, good stewards of Jesus's message responses, those are, it's easier not to debate, it's easier not to be at odds, it's easier to not have to question and not have to be questioned about what we believe because there's a comfort for people in what we believe um, but in our reality, I would say that that's a very dangerous, dangerous place to be. So um, what does the rest of the Word of God say about what we believe, about uh, what's important? So another thing that people will bring up often is this idea that, hey, you know, the gospel, as long as we're all preaching the gospel together, we can be united on that. And, and we, you know, all the rest is is not important. And there's a verse that uh, people will use often um, to kind of address this viewpoint, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as I'm turning there, let's see, where do we go? And it's this, uh, this place in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul is actually writing to the church, and he says this. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Beautiful verse. Uh, I love uh, what Paul is saying there. But really, that verse is taken out of context and is stripped from its real value because, yes, when Paul went to Corinth, he made himself to know nothing but Christ and him crucified because the work that he was he was laboring in at the moment was was preaching the gospel to people in a place who had never heard it and he wasn't concerned with all the you know extras and the ands and the buts and how well he was speaking he was simply preaching the gospel which is the power of God however the next verse so that was verses 1 through 5 the very next verse verse 6 he says however we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So that's first Corinthians two six through eight that directly follows his statement where he says, Hey, I, I came, I came to you. I, I made myself to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified, but 
once we got past that initial phase, when people are in the kingdom, uh, as we're speaking to those who are mature or who should be mature, he says what? We speak wisdom. There is wisdom to be had in, in, of, of God's will, of his ways, of his character. And just as we were reading in Hebrews, we see the, um, the same sentiment there that there's a time where we're supposed to uh, step past the elementary principles of Christ, the, the elementary principles of the gospel, and move on into a full life and a full understanding of who God is. Um, and what he, how he wants us to live. So I've got my good friend here, David Justice, uh, just commented, and he said, I think the point of the, as long as we agree on the basic saying, is that we shouldn't judge someone else's salvation, okay? And trust that they have their own relationship with God. It doesn't mean that we should accept or ignore faulty teachings. Well, you know, that's, I, I appreciate your comment. Um, and the 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 idea that we should or should not accept someone's sal- or uh, judge someone else's salvation um, is a good point. However, you know, typically when when that's being spoken, I don't know at least in my experience that that has been the viewpoint. The viewpoint isn't so much rather someone's saved. It's it's really rather or not these issues are are needing to be addressed. In some sense, it's it's like there is this unspoken implication that rather or not these other aspects outside of the gospel are even important. And that is a place where where it is concerning. And, and even though, you know, maybe we can't judge other people's salvations, Jesus does tell us that we'll know them by their fruits. And he does tell us that, uh, you know, we know that we love him if we keep his commandments. And so in order to love the body of Christ, as we've been called to love them, helping them walk in the truth and and experience the truth of God is very important because Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So while I agree, it's it's not something to judge someone's salvation on as as, as far as is something biblically true? Is something pleasing to God or not? Is this way of walking, of talking, of living something that honors and pleases God or or, or not? Is this the spirit or is this the flesh? These things are very important to understand for us. And we're going to see that, I believe, in our study here. And these these questions um, can, can either keep us in a place of not growing, of you know, not really understanding who the Lord is, of not being able to serve, not being able to bear fruit properly, or they can be actually the springboard by which our spiritual life flourishes. Uh, we've got Michael on the line saying repentance should bear fruit of repentance, and, and, and I agree. So again, just, just to recap, um, so far we have in Hebrews 6, there is an elementary principle of Christ, which we can maybe call the basics, that I think is very different. <laughs> when people talk about what we should agree on, what the basics of the faith are, very different than what most people uh, say. In 1 Corinthians 2, we have Paul saying, hey, to the mature, we're speaking wisdom. We're, we're, we're like Hebrews 6 says, we're supposed to be moving on past these elementary um, parts. So I want to, to bring something else up here as we're on this subject. In 1 Corinthians 1, let's, let's take it back a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 1, I want, I want you to hear this. This is very important. So this is very, very important. Starting in verse 10, verse 10 and 11, Paul writes, Now I plead with you, brethren, I plead with you, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, listen to this, you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And of course, this is not the only uh, the only place where that's written. Many, many, many times in the New Testament, it talks about having the same mind, being in one accord. You know what I mean? And here specifically, it says to have the same mind, to speak the same words, to hold the same judgments, and that that is what unity is supposed to look like. Now, why is that important? Well, here's the thing. If we are saying, and if we're preaching a message to the world that there is one true God, there is no other, that he sent his son as the light of the world, as the life of men, that he came, that he was truth incarnate. He was the reality of this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God incarnate. And he left his, his teachings and his, under, his commandments for us so that we could come to know him, so that we could be saved. And we're saying all these things are true and there is no other truth. And that's what we're proclaiming. And then in the same breath or, or in the same life uh, that is, is showing really more about what we believe than even what we say, if we're giving the impression that, you know, we can believe different things about the same scriptures and it doesn't matter, or that somehow they can both be true, well, then the only message we're sending to the world is that the scriptures aren't really true at all. And that whatever you believe, you believe. And, and the whole idea that God is a God of truth and that he's the only truth, that he's the life and the only life, that's getting stripped away because of our own uh, unwillingness to learn, to teach, and to surrender to Christ. Because, again, 1 Corinthians 1, we should have the same mind. We should speak the same thing. We should hold the same judgments. So if we're if, if, if I'm saying... And this is X about the scriptures, and you're saying this is Y about the scriptures, we're already in disobedience to that command. And um, we're at this place where the, I think the phrase, we can all agree on the basics, really comes into play. So let's go back to that. Why, why is it that people are so concerned with this idea that we just all need to agree on the basics? Well, I think the heart of that matter is saying, you know, you and I, as brothers in Christ, we can disagree on a subject matter and still be friends. We can still love each other. And in that, I would agree. I think, I think that is a good perspective to have, that uh, we can disagree. We can love one another. We can understand that, hey, this person knows the Lord, assuming that they really know the Lord. Um, and hey, you know, we can find a way to have fellowship. Now, does that negate what, what I'm trying to say? No, it doesn't. Because that's all that represents is, is a relationship that has some sense of distance in it. Because if, if you and I have a relationship, and if we love each other, and we love the Lord, and you're saying the Scripture says one thing, and I'm saying the Scripture says another thing, well, maybe we can move on from that subject for a while. We can talk. But sooner or later in our relationship, for us to truly have communion, for us to truly uh, have fellowship at some point, we really should. We have a, in fact, I will say a obligation to readdress that subject matter at some point. We have an obligation. Now, why do I say that? Matthew uh, 28, the Great Commission. Do you know what Jesus says in the Great Commission? 
He says, uh, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and teach them to observe all of my commandments. And so in the same breath as what people would call, you know, the command to share the gospel, to go out and make disciples and to baptize, in the same breath, in the same vein of importance, he puts teaching them to observe, to obey my commands. And so in order to be faithful to the call of Jesus, in order to be a disciple and a disciple maker, to love your brothers as yourself, well, I would hope that you have some desire to know the truth and to be set free, to walk in a way that, that shows a intimacy with God and love for the Lord. And in order to love your neighbor in the same way as you love yourself, your desire should be to help them understand the scriptures accurately. There's a reason why in the scriptures it says to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, likewise, for ourselves, it's there's there's a humility needed to be able to disagree, to still love people, and to address a situation um, in such a way where we're willing to take another look at it. We're willing to search the scriptures to find out, hey, is what this person saying, is it true? Am I maybe wrong? Have I maybe been taught in a way that wasn't accurate to the scriptures? And that's, that's the whole idea of the Bereans, right? It says that the Bereans were more noble than the other Jews and it gives a reason for that. It says they were more noble than the other Jews because they searched the scriptures day and night to see if what Paul was saying was true. And that's a very, very, very important habit for us as Christians. And something, when we talk about searching the scriptures, I think most of us just, oh, you know, you read your Bible. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. It means really search, really cross-reference, really look up to see what does the Bible teach about this subject as a uniform teaching to see if indeed, man, maybe my heart, my understanding needs to change. Um, that's very important. So we're going to move on uh, into uh, past 1 Corinthians 1. Now, let's let's go into Acts chapter 2 here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 45. But in before we start reading that, um, Philippians 3, we'll have to look into that from Michael before we start reading um, Acts chapter 2, I want to talk about something. You know, there is this idea that, um, again, we just have to agree on the gospel. We just have to be unified around the gospel. That's all that matters. I'll, I'll put another plug in. Go watch my video from last week. I think even our understanding of the gospel needs a little bit of a tune-up. Um, and if it gets tuned up, we understand that that's not quite as easy to say, that we just have to agree on the gospel. But... Think about this, the red letters in scripture. So um, if you have a red letter Bible, you know that anytime Jesus is speaking, those letters are in red, right? Now, check this out. Do you know how many red letter verses there are in the Bible? Um, quite a bit. So I looked this up and I'm just taking someone else's word for it. I didn't go count one by one. But what I what I saw is that there seems to be at least the person was using the ESV so it shouldn't, shouldn't change, really, that there are 2,043 verses that are in red letters that where Jesus himself is speaking and teaching. Now, out of 2,043 red letters, there's, you know, there's four Gospels. There's a lot of repeat. There's maybe the same subject um, being repeated. And so out of those 2,000 red letter verses, there are 800 subject matters. We could put a heading and list 
them into categories, and there would be 800 different categories for teachings and lessons from Jesus in red letters. So that that should be something that we pay attention to, because if there's 800 separate categories of Jesus's teaching, and he says, "Hey, go teach others all my commands." Well, guess what? When we get when we when we when we consider preaching the gospel as a command, right? Preaching the gospel as a command is one subject. So once we get past, hey, we all need to preach the gospel and we need to agree on what preaching the gospel means, there is 799 other categories of red letter Jesus's teachings that are still needing to be read and and considered. And what, what bothers me even more is the more we press into some of these issues to try to make a point biblically, a lot of times what I see is the more and more and more people will actually downplay. The same people who say, oh, every word of God is inspired will suddenly backpedal and say, well, you know, this and this and that on, in, in the view of, of uh, verses they don't like. Maybe they'd say, oh, well, you know, the red letters are the most important. But then when we start you know, addressing that. Well, what about this red letter scripture? What about this one? Oh, well, you know, maybe just these ones are important. And there's a diminishing of the importance of God's own words for, for many people. Uh, so Michael uh, is just posted for us, Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Let's see what he has to say here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any particip- participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same mind, having the same love and being in full accord. Being in one accord means to for, for everything to be done either at the same time or with a unanimous consent. So for us to fulfill the command of scripture to be in one accord, we have to be in a unanimous consent about what we're doing and the purposes behind it. Um, so having the same love, being in full accord. Can I show this on the screen? I think I can. Oh, well, it doesn't show the whole thing, but that's all right. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And let's be honest, guys. A lot of the times, the reason why we have such a trouble having these conversations, the reason why phrases like, oh, we just need to agree to disagree um, exist is because we're not humble enough to have these conversations in a God-fearing way. Um, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's not about being right for the sake of being right. It's about being right in the eyes of the Lord so that we can walk rightly and so that we can teach others rightly as well. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also have the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And you know, Philippians 2.21 says that uh, basically that most people are not concerned with the things of Christ, but of their own interests. And, and that's a problem. You know, that's something that we as Christians, we really need to take some time to to um, look at our own hearts about. So again, there's 2,000 red letter verses, there's 800 subjects, and only one of them is the gospel. So there's a lot of, of, of things to be taught and to considered from the scriptures as a Christian. So let's go into Acts 2 real quick. In Acts chapter 2, thank you, Michael, by the way, for Philippians. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 45, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So these are people coming into the faith. The church is being born on the day of Pentecost, and this is what's happening. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods 
and divided them among all as anyone had need. So the first thing um, listed there in the birth of the church and the fruit of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon his people is that they were steadfastly continuing together in the apostles' doctrine. Now, let's talk about doctrine for a second. Um, Doctrine is a word that I love and that a lot of people hate. Okay, let's just let's just be honest there. Uh, a lot of people hate the word doctrine, especially now in the younger generations. There, there's this idea that doctrine is what divides us. Um, doctrine isn't important because of this reason. We just need to agree on the basics, even though the basics are doctrine. But there's there's this wrong idea about what doctrine is. So what is doctrine? Doctrine is basically just truths spoken of in the scripture. Anything that is in the scripture scripture that is provable and that is true about God or his people that, that we teach, that's doctrine. It's, it's that simple. It's not a big fancy thing. So how important is doctrine actually? Okay, so check this out. I did a little research um, getting prepared for uh, this message here. And like I already told you, 2,000 red letter verses, 800 subjects. Only one of those is the gospel. Um, I looked up how many times does the gospel appear in the Bible or, or is the gospel spoken about in the Bible? And what I found is that the gospel appears 101 times in uh, in basically the New Testament. Or I don't know that there are any Old Testament uh, uh, occurrences there, maybe. And 101 times. Now, when you understand that there's four gospels, and so a lot of those, those appearances of something being spoken of of the gospel is a, a duplicate. We could almost divide that before and say, so maybe there's really only 25 times that that is uniquely talked about the gospel. Maybe there's 30 unique times, but most of that is not a command. It's not a teaching about teaching the gospel or sharing the gospel. Most of it is Jesus preaching the gospel or other people declaring the gospel. Um, and so there's, there's really, you know, less, a hundred or less occurrences uh, in all reality, of the gospel even being mentioned in the New Testament. Now, am I saying it's not important? Do not take me wrong. I am not saying it's not important. It's a, it's extremely important. But again, if we were to make that a red letter subject, it's just one subject out of eight hundred that the scriptures are concerned about. Now, if you look up um, the words um, doctrine, teaching, instruct or learning as a subject in the scriptures, as far as where those come, there are 528 verses where those appear. And most of those are not in the four gospels. So there is not a significant repeat like there is with the word gospel. Um, But there is the word doctrine is used. And this is, of course, in the New King James Version translation. So it could be different depending on your translation in the English language. There are 45 occurrences of the word doctrine. There are 235 occurrences of the word teach or 44 extra verses for teaching and instruct or instruction. There's 136 verses for learning. There's 68 with a grand total of 528 verses on the importance of of teaching doctrine and instruction. I didn't even get into correction or or anything's on those same lines. So we see that there there's a great focus, um, there's a great importance on this issue of doctrine, which we could call correct biblical teaching. There's a great importance on correct biblical teaching. And so I want to prove that to you. We already saw in Acts chapter 2 that they were steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines, but if you will turn to me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
verses 3 through 7. This is Paul writing, and he tells Timothy, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some, listen to this, that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause dispute rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from, uh, from which some, having strayed, having strayed from what? Strayed away from this doctrine that he's commanding to be taught, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And guys, that's really what I want to encourage you and warn you about. Um, be very, very careful that you know, you don't make yourself a teacher and that you don't boldly start proclaiming things and holding to things in your own pride that you really don't even understand, that you, you, you don't really have a solid biblical foundation in yourself. You were maybe um, halfway, you know, maybe you were convinced by a couple of verses by someone who sounded good, but, but you haven't went to the scriptures and really had that tested against the full counsel of God. Be very careful about that. And so I want you to notice that Paul, it's command, he's telling uh, Timothy to command, to charge them. There is an authority that he's saying that he needs to have in making sure they preach no other doctrine. Now, if, if uh, a fellow pastor came into your church and started commanding you not to teach anything other than what is set in this way, man, there would be rebellion rampant. People would be upset. Churches would be splitting. Nobody can tell us. We're going to believe. And honestly, guys, that's part of the problem is that there is this selfish, rebellious attitude. Uh, there, there is this lack of humility where we are just are willing to not be fooled so easily where, where we take the time to search, we take the time to understand, but, but we need to have an attitude that's willing and ready, ready and willing to submit to the word of God, even if it means being wrong, even if it means admitting that we've believed or even taught things that were incorrect, you know, that's okay. Because then I could, if I, if, if I got corrected, man, I've been teaching this and teaching this and suddenly the Lord opened my eyes or someone showed me from the scriptures that, Hey, that's incorrect. Man, there might be a moment of like, dang, but there'd be this great joy to stand up and teach and say, hey, brothers, hey, sisters, this is what I've been telling you, but I've, it's not true. Let me show you the error so I can show you the truth. And there's a, a uh, <laughs> Michael says Google teachers of the word. Yeah, uh, there is a beauty in, in coming into the light. Anything that comes into light is manifested as light. It's what the scriptures say. Um <clears throat> So doctrines are very important. There's a there's an authority given to command churches not to teach anything other than what Paul has commanded. In 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, it says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Listen to this, the pillar and ground of the truth with pillar and ground, and without controversy, with no dispute, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in glory. So what he's saying here is that there is a, a calling, there is a description of what the church is supposed to be in the world. And it is we are supposed to be the pillar and the ground, or another translation is the foundation of truth. And the moment we start falling away from that, falling away from a willingness 
to be the foundation and pillar of truth that holds up all understanding of what is true in the world, we allow darkness to um, to run rampant. We we completely negate the calling and the responsibility of the church and the and the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty eight, like I already quoted, uh, which which means to teach others to observe all of his commands. We completely fall away from that in our own ignorance or pride, and that's very 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 dangerous place to be. This is why Jesus says, hey man, like you're supposed to be a light on a hill that can't be hidden or a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Like light scripturally is always used for truth. And if you're the light of the world, he says, nobody light, nobody takes this light and puts it under a basket. They take the lamp and they put it on the lampstand so it can give light to everyone in the house. There's supposed to be a true, authentic, God-given revelation moving through his people to those who are in darkness, those who are without truth. And if we negate that, are we loving and following Jesus at all? So let's let's move on. Um, let's see. Again, in 1 Timothy 4, he says uh, to Timothy, Let no one despise your, your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And he says this, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Um, And then in verse 15, he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely. Listen to this, guys. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So Paul is saying, man, this is so important that you need to, until I come back, which was probably months, maybe year, who, who knows? He says, as I've left you, um, you know, to do these things, you need to put your full focus and energy in understanding, teaching, and setting straight the doctrine of the church so that you save yourself and those who hear you. That's how important it is to Paul. And take a quick Gatorade break. This is not a paid advertisement, but if Minimart wanted to pay me, I'd be okay with that. Um, anyways, so the reason I'm reading through all of this is because, actually, as you start reading the New Testament, what, what you're going to find is that all of the New Testament basically is Jesus and the apostles correcting people's doctrine, correcting their understanding of who God is, correcting them on how they should live, rebuking them for their wickedness and sin, calling sin, sin, saying that, hey, some of these in your midst are false brethren and are going to go to the place where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Uh, Those who are sinning put out of the church, hey, that dude sleeping with his father's wife, like, why are you just saying, oh, we love him and not, no, put him out and let, let Satan have his way so that he'll repent and that his soul will be saved. There's, there's, there is this just literally just this whole vast section of Christian doctrine, understanding of salvation, of the Jews' place, of the Gentiles' place, of eternal um, destination of our life here, of, of rebuke against ungodliness, of, of edification towards godliness, of um, basically preaching against false teachers and, and false prophets and false witnesses. And yet, 
we don't have many times as the as as American Christians that that type of view, that importance on doctrine and Christian living. We don't hold those high standards because if we held to those high standards, if we said there was a truth, if we said that there were these things, oh well, you know, we might hurt somebody's feelings, you know, um, and that wouldn't be good. You know, we might have to ask somebody to to leave our church because they're unrepentant. And, oh, I mean, we we don't have the right to do that. Are you kidding me? Jesus gave you the right. In fact, he commanded it in Matthew 18 that if someone refuses to repent, even in front of the whole church, that they're supposed to be put out like a sinner and a tax collector. And there's a reason for that. It's for God to deal with their heart outside of the church so that they can either be manifested that they were never of us, like it says in 1 John 2, or so that they can be dealt with and brought back in in love. But here's the thing. Part of the reason we don't want to call... uh, doctrine important is because we love our relationship with men i don't mean men specifically but but mankind uh more than we love our relationship with the lord that there is a a faultiness in our faithfulness towards jesus and and i'm not judging anybody by the way there's always that concern well we don't want to judge and you sound judgmental and yada 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 you know what man Give me a break. I'm not judging anybody. I'm speaking truth. And Jesus, he would stand up and speak truth and say, hey, if you have ears, hear me. And if you don't, all well, I'm moving on. And the people who acknowledge the truth would follow, and the people who disregarded it, disregarded it. And that's all I'm here to do. Um, These are things that I've had to be corrected of over the years. I've had to learn. I've had to come into an understanding of... um, I'm no stranger to repentance, you know, and I'm not standing here, sitting here technically on a high horse. I'm saying this is an understanding we all need to be brought into together. Our hearts need to be tested according to the Word of God. Our lives need to be tested according to the Word of God together in humility. Now, when we look at um, in 2 Timothy, there's something that Paul says there where he says in verse chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, which means basically to teach in such a way that it's undeniable, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, if it wasn't important to deal with these issues, if it wasn't important to say, hey, there's one truth, and as Christian brothers, we need to have the same mind and say the same things, can we please sit down? together? Can we please get some coffee? Can we please read through these things, humble ourselves in prayer, and just see what the Bible really says? Can, is that okay? Um, if if that is not the reality that we're supposed to be walking in, then why is it that 2 Timothy 3 says that Scripture is profitable for correction, if correction is not necessary for our Christian walk? Um, and if you think that somehow correction is necessary, that, that's just between you and God and not anybody else, that's it's a very a foolish thing to think. So um, let's go back to just the person of Jesus for a minute. And again, I want to remind you, if you have anything to share, if you have any questions, feel free to uh, post it on Facebook or, or uh, Periscope or wherever you're watching. And I'll get updates here on my screen. I'll be able to respond there. Uh, these will also, this message will also be uploaded to my Spotify for, for later, listening to it later. Um, but but what about Jesus, right? What does Jesus have to say? What is Jesus concerned about for his church? So there is this place in the book of John. It's John 17. It's it's very, uh, very important chapter to be familiar with. 
Let me get back to it here. And in John 17, Jesus is praying for his people, not just his people there, his disciples, but, but all people who will believe on him ever. And he's praying to the Father uh, for them because he's about to leave. He's about to be crucified. He's about to go out of the world, and they're going to be left in the world to continue his ministry. And so there's this prayer there. Um, and in John 17, in verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word, your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he says this in verse 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we see here in the prayer of Jesus that it's important to him that we be sanctified, which means sanctification is basically that work by which we are continuously set apart and molded into the image of Christ, where we are walking and talking and living like him. That's, the, that's that process of sanctification, to be set apart. And he's, he's concerned with that. He's praying to the Father, sanctify them. But the means of that, he says, sanctify them by your word. In 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So when we read the scriptures, we are being, um, we, are, we are encountering the one truth. And if we agree, and, and where we agree with scriptures, we are in the truth, and we are being sanctified by that truth if we walk in it. But anywhere where we disagree, we're robbing ourselves and others of that sanctifying work of Jesus Christ in our life. And, you know, we, we all experience that. Uh, nobody is perfect. Nobody gets saved. And, no, and there's this progressive under, coming to understanding and growing. But without understanding, without truth being revealed to us, without walking out the scriptures, there is no spiritual growth. And, and so it, it's, it's not right for us to rob God of his fruit. And it's not right of us to rob ourselves of his blessing in that. Okay, so a couple of different things now. Um, we're going to break away from really hammering hard on the need and importance of doctrine and truth scripturally. Um, I'm going to get rid of some of my open tabs here as I'm taking taking notes on or uh, reading through scriptures on Bible Gateway. Uh, let's see, we have a new comment from Michael. John Knox would say, the holy of holies of scripture, chapter John 17. Hey, I, I like that. Oh, you know what? I, I deleted it. I'm sorry. There was a, a part later in that verse in John 17 where Jesus is praying after he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He says, Lord, my desire is that they be being all the believers who will believe on him, even after the apostles, that they will be one as we are one. Now, do you think if we're supposed to be one as Jesus and the Father are one, how many, how often do you think Jesus and his Father disagree concerning truth? I'll wait. No, I won't wait because you already know the answer. How, how often do you think that Jesus and his Father disagreed on what the, the walk should look like, the path should look like? Never. Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I see or hear my father saying. And so in John 17, he says, I want my body 
of people, of believers, to be one as we're one. And it even says that the world will know that you sent me when they are one uh, together. And so actually, I want to read that one little verse particularly so you don't have my paraphrase. Um, So this is John 17. I am reading in the New King James Version. That is my preference. And it says in verse, let's see. Let's see if I can find it. I had it highlighted just a second ago. That they may be one as we are one. Um, I have given them your word. Okay, that's what we read. Okay, verse 21, 17, 21. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I, guys, that, that verse, thank you. I should have looked. I didn't see you post it right there. Thank you, brother. John 17, 21. That verse completely escaped my mind uh, as far as it didn't even click to me uh, what was being said there until this year when I was preaching through John 17, definitely not for the first time. And I just really noticed that, wow, the world knowing that Jesus is from God. That I mean, that's kind of the fruit of the gospel, right? Sharing the gospel that they know that this Jesus truly is the son of God, that he truly is the savior of the world. Jesus is saying they, the world will know that he is from God when we are in unity, when we are one. And so people, or I shouldn't say it like that. We as Christians, if when we say that nothing matters, that we don't have to worry about our disagreements, we don't have to come to terms, we can just agree to disagree, we just have to agree on the basics, as somehow that we just have to focus on the gospel and that's good enough, we're actually negating the the gospel because the power of the gospel is the power of God, not the power of my my poetic speech, right? One waters, one sows, God gives the increase, and Jesus is saying that the world will see who he is when we are unified. And so being together in the true doctrine of the scriptures and teaching that well is very important to his heart. Um, so so what's, what's the reality if, what if we just don't agree on this? Maybe you're saying, Darren, I hear what you're saying. I, I see the scriptures you're reading, but you're just, you're being too extra, right? I think there's a lot of people who think I'm just extra. I don't know. Well, here's what the scriptures say in 1 John 2. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Well, what commandments? Just the gospel? Just the core? I mean, again, what what core? No, if we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him also himself walk just as he walked. And, you know, for me, I remember um, coming into this understanding that I knew who Jesus was. I knew he died for my sins. I knew he loved me, but I was living all wrong. And the fruit of my life was bad fruit. Um, And I was looking at jail time and all these things. And I was just crying out to the Lord, like, Lord, I need your help. I know you're there, but I don't know. I really have no idea how to follow you. 
Uh, my life is very similar to the book of Judges where it says every man did what was right in his own eyes. And, and I was just hopeless and lost in a sense. And I started to cry out for the Lord's help. And when he led me to truly just start reading through the scriptures and I began to be exposed to the scriptures and I saw the truth of, of what's being presented in the gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles. And I started to see that the reality of my life in my te- or not my teachings, but my beliefs, my life and my beliefs did not match up to that. Wow. There was this, there was this overwhelming sense of my eyes being opened suddenly to who God really was. And when I began to just simply rejoice and receive and, and walk in the commands of God through his word, my entire life began to very drastically, even dramatically change. Um, and did I become perfect? Did I get it all right overnight? No, but change started happening very, very quickly. And what I have seen consistently, consistently, is as people are coming in and out of our church or in other churches, I've got friends all over the place and in the Christian circles that as and I'm talking to other leaders in different denominations and we're talking about the people, the people who are truly invested in God's word and seeking out um, with humble hearts, just humble hearts. You know, what does God's word say? And how can we live it out? And they're willing to be molded. They're willing to be pruned. They're willing to be corrected because there's not a selfish motive in this. There's not a uh, a prideful concern with what they know. It's it's who is God and how can we be partnered in that? Those are always the people that are full of joy, full of passion, full of good works, full of good fruit, and are abounding in the faith always. And the people who are argumentative and stubborn and not willing to, and and um, even are willing to disregard, even though they wouldn't call it that, really disregard the word of God and its commands because of, well, you know, this guy or we got to love. And, and they kind of make their own. Those are always the people who um, really, really never move out of whatever spot they're in, in their life or in their faith. Um and because they're cutting themselves off from the opportunity to be fruitful, they're not letting the Lord prune their heart and their understanding. Um, Michael wrote here, love that word, know, just intimacy with God. And I want to know him and obey him. And, and you know, that's, that's it. That's what the Lord wants from us, for us to know him and to obey him. But, you know, how can we obey him? How can we walk in his ways if we don't know what he's asking us to do? So, Back to, back to Paul. Paul in 2 Timothy 4, and we're coming to an end here. We've got three minutes left. He writes this, I charge you. So I want you just to put yourself as the recipient of this letter. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and at his kingdom. He doesn't say preach the gospel here. He says preach the word. Preach the word. The, the fullness of the word. That's If it's in there, preach it. Every letter, every command, everything, be ready in season, out of season, convince. That means people don't agree. He doesn't say leave them to not agree. He says to convince them, to rebuke them if necessary, to exhort them, encourage them with all long suffering and teaching. And he even tells why. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So just by that statement, he's saying there is sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, 
endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so here we have, hey, there is a command here to, to, to be an evangelist. Um, but it's just part, it's just a small part of the greater command. And in our reality, there's really only three commands in the New Testament um, to go out and to do, to, to, to preach the gospel, to be an evangelist. There's really only three commands. You've got the two great commissions in Mark 16, Matthew 28. You've got it here. Uh, maybe there might be one or two others that I'm not thinking off the top of my head, but that, that's really it. And even in Matthew 28, as I noted, that's just one part of the greater message. So is the gospel important? Yes. Should it be, should it be proclaimed? Should it be a focal part of our, of our life? Yes, of course. The, the gospel is central to everything and who we are in Jesus. It's how we came to Jesus. It's how we bring others to Jesus. And if you go back and watch my video from last week, you'll see there's a reality of the promises and the kingdom living uh, that all of these things fit into what the gospel is. It's not just a simple statement about Jesus. It's a whole life lived in the kingdom of God, recipients of his goodness. And so, yes, it's incredibly, incredibly important. However, all of the commands of scriptures are important. And to say that they're not is to truly disregard and blaspheme the heart of who God is because they're his commands. They're not mine. They're not the apostles. They came from the Lord and they are very, very important. Um, And so there it is. Let's talk agreeing on the basics. Is it enough to agree on the basics? I would say, no, it's not. Can we agree enough to be friends, to, to have association at a distance? Of course we can. Uh, we shouldn't hate each other because we disagree. However, um, how can two walk together if they don't agree? There is a truth to be had, and we have the obligation and the command from our Lord to pursue that truth, to encourage each other in truth, and to not Um, just let people walk and to live in ways that are contrary to who Jesus is.